You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Alex Boylan gives me a call. I had no idea who he was. He's like, this is Alex Boylan. I'm actually working at the time, right? He calls me. He's like, I'm a producer from Los Angeles. Uh, I won the Amazing Race season two. And we want you to do the show. It's a travel show where you travel around the world with no money. And we're going to tape the whole thing. It's going to be at CBS. And I was like, I was like looking around. I'm like, I thought my friends were like playing a joke on me. And I hung <laughs> up. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Hey, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Pays. I'm here as always with Siobhan and Ben. How you guys doing? What's Pretty going good. on, Corey? Oh, you know, just another uh, another uplifting uh, episode. We get to talk to Jeff Schroeder of CBS Fame and uh, and lots of other things because he's gorgeous. He's not just a pretty face. He's a he's, pretty face he's, on television. He's a handsome man. <laughs> but he's also There's more to him than that, though. Yeah, he's a very interesting guy, and uh, it's kind of cool to. You know, you, you wonder how people find themselves in situations where they're in reality TV and you think like, what the hell led to that? And uh, we get to ask him that question. Yeah, we get into a lot of that in this episode. It's fun guy, interesting, a lot of stories to tell. So you definitely have to check it out. Super motivating as well. So if you're uh, if you're feeling down, this is a good one for you. Yeah, the guy was in a boiler room and then he gets called to be on television and then you can fucking hear it from there. But it's ridiculous. So subscribe to 2020-D.com. Give yeah. us a thumbs up too. smash it. Smash it. <laughs> don't smash it just like and subscribe yeah. yep and yeah buddy <laughs> here's jeff ladies and gentlemen i'm benny goodman and welcome to 2020 i'm here with my cohorts siobhan cronin hey and Corey Peza. How's it going? And we're so lucky. I mean, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Not only just... And, and if you're not watching on YouTube, you should because this guy's dreamy. Like, legit dreamy. Um, he's wearing a backwards hat. And, like, underneath that black shirt, I'm sure there's something <laughs> great going on. You didn't have to tell on. everyone he was wearing a shirt. Maybe they would have gone hoping that he's not wearing a shirt and they would have well, stuck around. Let me introduce him first. His name is Jeff Schroeder. He's an amazing star from Big Brother, The Amazing Race, Marriage Boot Camp, and even has a show called Daily Blast Live where he blasts what's going on in Hollywood and all this crazy stuff. Jeff, how are you, brother? Good, buddy, good. Woo. That was a nice intro and a good buildup, not only to my career, but what's under this shirt. So <laughs> I'm just going to let the imaginations run wild because with COVID, I'm telling you, it's not looking great. You yeah, sure. Cody, yeah, Cody, Califor Cody on from Big Brother? Calafiore? Yes, we, yes we, yeah, Calafiore. Polly, Polly. Oh, we had Polly. Yeah, we had yeah. Polly. Oh, yeah, Either yeah. one. I'm not yeah. taking my shirt off against either one of those. <laughs> well, within 15 minutes of meeting you, I had seen you without your shirt because we met um, at, well, when you came to Boston, you did the um, the greasy pole in, um, in Gloucester, Massachusetts, which we'll get into. Well, but yeah, Jeff you need to explain what that is. That sounds 
in Gloucester, Massachusetts, 15 feet above, maybe it was even 20 feet above the ocean to walk this greasy pole that's like 10 feet long with six inches of grease. Um, and basically the whole idea is to get across this pole without killing yourself. And in Gloucester, it's good luck for bringing in a, a bountiful season. And Jeff luckily made it to the end without murdering himself on CBS. Yeah, so a quick intro to how me and you met, Benny. So I did a show called Around the World for Free where I started in Times Square in uh, New York City and I'd have circum circumnavigate the globe with no money in my pocket for 100 days. And Benny, you were the first person off of that Times Square. I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing, how I was going to do the show. And Benny was the first guy to take me in. And uh, we went to Boston to do the greasy pole. Luckily, there wasn't grease on there when we walked it. But I still got to do that. Go lobster fishing, Benny. He showed me. We found an albino lobster, which, if anyone knows, it's like one in five or like eight million or something like that. And he and you let it go, Jeff. So like your empathy towards animals is completely not lost on me. Well, you would have to be some sort of crazy animal to eat an albino lobster, right? Well, you're an animal because you. We went to the bar from the Perfect Storm, and that was the last yeah. shot of tequila I've ever taken. And I remember that, like, I, you guys are like, oh, you want to take a shot? Like, I don't drink, and I especially don't drink tequila. But, like, I took this shot, and then I, like, walked right to the bathroom, and I think I sat there for 10 minutes, like, contemplating my mortality. Trying to be cool to the CBS people, but, like, meanwhile, I'm dying. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're at the crow's nest, you got to... You almost have to throw. You it, have right? to. You have to. It's a perfect storm for a perfectly terrible liver. Oh yeah. Well, nice to meet the rest of you guys. That's how me and Benny met. So it was nice to nice to meet you guys as well. Yeah. Nice to meet you as well. We, yeah. We don't have as cool of stories. It's, it's a. It's a. I'm just a bummer. I have and seen for reference. Oh, no, I was gonna say for reference. I didn't know anything more than Jeff did either because our friend Brian Pitcher took me to New York and said, "Hey." We're going to New York City. And I said, I have I have stuff to do this weekend. He's like, that, that cancel it. Cancel it. <laughs> it's a very And then take me to New answer. York City. And then he's like, 5 a.m. He's like, you, we got to go. W what do you mean? He's like, we got to be on television. And that's how I met Jeff. Like, I knew nothing about this at all. Like, my friend literally, like, just stole me to New York City. And then happens. Yeah, and it was, I'm glad, I'm glad he did because I was, ter I mean, I was excited about this adventure, which was nine years ago now, but oh terrified wow. into what, what I was going to do. Right. And I met you and Brian right away and you guys were awesome. And nine years later, you asked me to do this podcast. And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> because the people I met on that trip, I, I, I had no money in my pocket. They essentially had to take care of me. So now my payback. So is explain this because it's CBS. Yeah. Yeah. This was an online show. And you basically started in New York, but you had to get around the globe and people could sign online and be right. like, yo, man, I'll get you a bus ticket to, you know, Delaware or I'll fly you to France. Or and whatever. would this and have been pre-social media or was this maybe around the time it was starting? Yeah. So I, Twitter was around. I remember okay. doing Twitter at that time. Instagram wasn't around. Wow. So Twitter, Facebook was around. And then just people would log on to CBS.com uh, site. Okay. And that's how I'd connect with people from. Wow, well, that's even scarier. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it was that's like casual encounters, except with Jeff <laughs> on television. That's a very pioneering uh, concept at that point. It was it was pretty yeah. crazy because the vetting process was me. So I was like <laughs> feeling people out on the phone, and look at my first look at my first stop was Benny. So my vetting process wasn't that great. Could have oh, yeah. could have gone way worse. So let's let's back up a little bit and just um, maybe talk about how 
you got into that position in the first place? Well, so coming off that show, I always, I moved to California to be an actor when I was like 24 years old, right? So long story short, didn't work out. I was there for like two and a half years, went back to Chicago, um, started working with my old boss, my old friends, my old boss, which was telemarketing. So I kind of, you know, I'm going to make this real quick, but I, cause I told it a million times, but I kind of got into a rough place, whether I was drinking or right, not in the right headspace, you know, and kind of fell off the path that I essentially wanted to be on. And I had this awesome boss at the time uh, when I was telemarketing, which is the worst job, but you got to go through the bad to get to the good. And he taught me all about like positive thinking, motivation. You know, I played sports my whole life, but I lost that path that I was on, right? I was in my mid twenties, kind of confused about what I was going to do. And my boss set me straight on, my old boss set me straight on to positive thinking, Tony Robbins, all these positive salespeople, mm -hmm. which equated into me selling more for him, obviously, but more, more so for me, it was a life changer, right? So he's like, once you get your mind right, you could do whatever you want to do. So that being said, a couple of years later, I was auditioning around Chicago, getting a lot of jobs. And then I auditioned for this show called Big Brother, which I had no idea what it was. I just went with an ex-girlfriend of mine, strangely enough at the time, got on there. And then I met my wife, who now is in the other room 10 years later. But after I got off Big Brother, we did Amazing Race right after that because I met, um, we were dating at the time, my girlfriend and my wife, Jordan. And... CBS contacted me, this guy, Alex Boylan, who won the Amazing Race season. Who's on our show, by the way, this next week. Is, yeah, we're okay, interviewing cool. soon, yeah. Another one of my good friends I met along the way. We still talk all the time. Done so many shows with him. But how we met, Alex Boylan gives me a call. I had no idea who he was. He's like, this is Alex Boylan. I'm actually working at the time, right? He calls me. He's like, I'm a producer from Los Angeles. Uh, I won the Amazing Race season two, and we want you to do the show. It's a travel show where you travel around the world with no money, and we're going to tape the whole thing. It's going to be on CBS. And I was like, I was like looking around. I'm like, I thought my friends were like playing a joke on me, and I hung up. I'm like, whatever. And I hung up. He called me back. He's like, dude, I'm serious. This is like serious. And he's like, we're, we want you to fly out to Los Angeles. And I was like, what? This is crazy. It's like my dream job out of nowhere. Sure enough, I flew to Los Angeles and I auditioned and got the job and. That's how I got around the world for free, which was a dream of mine to travel and host. And it was a hundred days on the road. And uh, I met Joe Luca, who's our producer, editor, camera guy as well, who was Alex's partner at the time. It was my crash course into hosting. I mean, you couldn't get a better, better education in hosting than to be in it for a hundred days on the road. See the, see the process of how, you know, they set up a shot, how it's edited, how you have to shorten things, tighten things up, which I'm doing the opposite of right now. Cause I'm babbling on, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it was, it was, well, an amazing, it was amazing, amazing for me just to watch you guys because Jolt, uh, Jolt who's uh, the guy that actually did a lot of the filming. He's a good friend of ours and Brian and Alex, who's like this posse uh, of Hollywood people. Um, but Jolt would like shoot all the stuff you guys would do, and then he would literally stay up all night all editing night. it to make to make sure he could make sense of whatever the fuck you guys were doing wherever you were in the world while you were figuring out where you guys were going next. And he he literally didn't sleep more than three to four hours any night. Oh yeah, that's ever. like all video editors. It's crazy what they have to do. But it's for a hundred days, yeah. yeah, this guy is. Well, yeah, so you'd be like in the middle of, I don't know, fucking Cambodia, walking through places that aren't necessarily demined, and he's like sitting there trying to edit like to, <laughs> the day before in Istanbul. Well, so yeah. are the, were the locations scripted? I mean, I haven't actually seen the show, so I'm just curious. It would just like kind of go as you as you will. It, like um, what was yeah. the, the structure of it? So my little son. Hold on, oh, buddy. hi. <laughs> he's just peeking in there. Want to say hi? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's like... <laughs> 
he's in between. But uh, so <laughs> yeah. no, there was no there was no script, right? I basically had to make it around in a hundred days. So quick from the United States after I saw Betty, I went to DC, then Louisiana, Dallas, Los Angeles, and then I flew to Japan, and then uh, I mean wow. I went all through Southeast Asia, back into Europe, where my mother was born in Italy, all over Eastern and Western Europe. And then back around the United States, so it took me 100 days. But it was basically we had a, we had a direction. We wanted to go west, right, and get through Japan and things like that. So before we left, we we picked a route where we wanted to go and kind of what countries I wanted to see. And I've never been to Southeast Asia, so I chose that route. So whoever wherever I was, like in Los Angeles, I was like anyone have connections to Japan because I'm flying over there. And uh, a group of people pulled up money for me to fly to Japan. And I ended up staying with um, a Cub Scout leader at the time who had connections to Los Angeles and with him and his family who moved to Japan. So that's how I got my first big jump there. So Japan was a spot that you chose personally? You had an interest in going there? I wanted, I mean, anywhere where they would take me, essentially. I just yeah. know I had to keep He going hitchhiked back, through right? the internet. Like, legit, yeah. this is what he did. He hitchhiked through the internet, basically posted ads and said, like, hey, guys, I'm Jeff. I'm in Washington right now. I'd like to get to California. Can anybody help me out? And then people would, like, message him, and, like, anybody could message him. And, you know, and he says, oh, I want to go to Japan. And then people pulled their money together, like, literally on the internet, pulled their money that he doesn't know. And put him on a plane and said, there you go. Bye. And the, he's going to Japan to stay with the Cub Scout leader that like n- this. This is way more reality television than I feel like most reality television yeah. ever could be. That's inc- yeah. what a testament to humanity, too. Like, I feel like everyone gets I mean, I've gotten jaded of feeling like people don't care about anyone else. But that's such an amazing experience that people well, that that you don't face. know. How could you not care about Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> no, but somebody giving something to someone they don't know. I mean, that's incredible. That's such an incredible premise for a show and yeah. an experience. And then like when I got overseas, so like Cambodia, Benny mentioned, I actually went there and uh, there was another guy, this guy, Fred Garman, who, who um, he was in the ministries and things like that, but he also had water filtration camps and Cambodia was trying to build back up. So I went there and I helped him um, install some of these and educate some of the locals with what was going on and helping out his projects right and in return he gave me a place to stay fed me and then moved me along like that so i would do little projects for other people to get eyeballs on what they were doing as well and then they would push me along to the next spot yeah you never mowed my lawn for picking you up in new york i thought you said you're gonna do that what the fuck i didn't do i didn't really do anything with you guys but party (laughs) we just just, yeah we just we partied hard dude and and we came up with actually our mantra for real like I swear to God. So there's there's our friend Burton who was on um, Survivor. Alex works with Burton and they uh, had their own around the world for free productions or what have you. Um, And then our friend Jolt, who was the guy that did a lot of the videoing, a lot of the directing, a lot of the editing. uh, And our friend Brian, we all say to each other, do the right thing. Just do the right thing. And that's been our mantra for nine years, Jeff. In fact, when I came out to California, Corey and I were talking about this. I told you, come hang out. We're at Steel Panther. And you said, should I really come down? And I told you to do the right thing. And (laughs) you came down to Steel Panther. In fact, we talked to Satchel, the guitar player from Steel Panther last week. And I didn't even remember. 
because we partied so hard that you were there. So yeah. Corey told me that you got mobbed on the way in. I was like, that's probably why I blocked it out because you're so famous. People know <laughs> no, you what, everywhere. I, listen, Betty, I love the, I wish everyone thought like you. I really would be famous. I don't think I am famous at no, all. No, so I, so this was, we did, we did meet briefly when we were out there and, um, you know, you were super cool. We, we hung out for a little bit and as we were walking in, I think, I think you did, you caught a, you caught some attention and you got like, I don't know. Uh, a little crowd around you and it was it was very surreal it for it was it was it was very surreal for for me at least uh because you know ben and i had just been kind of hanging out in la doing a few things and then that was the first time you see the la aspect of la uh so we kind of we kind of just stood there and then we went inside and got a beer or something but uh, it kind of brings up a question of uh how has being recognized because i you know you, you kind of downplay it a little bit but i i do know that people recognize you because i've seen it um how have you handled that throughout uh your career was it different at first than it is nowadays um you know what it was it's kind of weird because reality tv you kind of get that 15 minutes right mm -hmm. right away but me i think meeting my wife uh on a show and having that process unfold for people like i didn't know how popular big brother was i really so didn't people yeah. so no people idea. know your wife is jordan who also won Big brother, and you guys are brother. like the sweetheart story of that whole series. Yeah, is Jeff and Jordan, because that's kind of the subtext. Like they do a lot of crazy stuff, and we should talk about this because it literally is. Uh, you are filmed all the time and deprived of reality, and you met your wife on this and became, uh, you know, famous. I guess for for the reality element of it, right. but you guys have now championed that. You have your own show, and because of your love, I think it amplified how popular you were to the world because it made everyone love you. For sure. For sure. I was going to say that. So my wife, yeah, Jordan Lloyd won season 11. The first season we were on, we went on to do the amazing race and other shows together. Um, so we've done a lot together, but I think when I believe Benny, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan was there that day, right? When we went to steel Panther. I think she was. She, yeah. She went. Yeah. Cause we met you a couple of times. We met you at the, well, Marcia I saw you in place. Santa Monica, I think. No, yeah. uh, I don't, so I don't believe a couple times. I, the time that I was there, I, I oh, believe it, your, it was your girlfriend. Yeah, right? it was, yeah. It was you. And, uh, I don't remember another guy, uh, who I don't remember his name. Right. Oh yeah. I don't know. Maybe Swain. Or I've been out there yeah. so many times, dude. And I harass you every time. So I yeah, think but I love it. I love it, man. Cause you know, I never, <laughs> what you did for me on that show, we, you know, I'll never forget, but then we became friends after that. But I think when me and my wife are together, it amplifies because sure. people might look sometimes be like, I think I remember that guy. It was 10 years ago, you know, and they're mm -hmm. like, I think I remember that guy from the show. I don't know if that's him. When my wife's there, it confirms it. And then people yeah. are like, wow, I remember you guys. So it really, it's never a problem because I'm never, we're never mobbed like that. You know, people are yeah. always respectful and they're like, hey, what's up? Despite what you see online, people with the negativity and go kill yourself. No one's ever said a bad comment to me in person. So it's just like online. It's behind you your back. Yeah. Oh, right? it's the internet. Yeah, the internet trolling is obnoxious. Yeah. yeah it's no one there would say it in person. <laughs> no one's ever said anything bad. Always just great comments. And it's it's actually flattering that people still remember. And even now when I wear my mask or something and I'm going through like Home Depot, which is my new hangout since <laughs> I'm a dad, it's like someone's like, hey, were you Jeff? I'm like, I have a mask and a hat. I'm like, Wow. That's crazy that you remember. So it's flattering. It is. Wow. The power of television to expose uh, you to such a wide audience. That's so well, I have to ask you about Big Brother because this is a show that if people don't know, and I honestly only know about it because I was asked to be, I flew out to California 
because they wanted to cast me on this freaking crazy thing. And um, I they made me watch your season and like another season. And, and, and basically what they do is they put you in a house. They have like 10,845 cameras always on <laughs> everywhere. There is zero, zero privacy. Um, they create a hierarchy by basically like getting you vote people out of the house like for whatever reasons you have these challenges where you could be holding on to a giant like punching bag in a cow outfit getting sprayed with milk <laughs> as like people are throwing darts at your head and then like they'll force you to take cold showers and eat crappy food like it's literally like something out of a Stanley Kubrick film. And you live this, and then when you're done with that, you could go on to Showtime, I believe, was it Big Brother After Dark, and then continue to stalk everyone on the show. Oh, yeah. What does that feel like, bro? <laughs> well, we did it twice, and uh, I guess, you know, nothing's like the first time, so the saying goes. And it really, it really was. The first time, I had no idea people were watching. I really didn't. And people would get dressed up at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and I was like... What, what are you doing? Why are you putting on heels at 10 o'clock? And like, well, Showtime After Dark is about to start. And that's when we were on Showtime. I'm like, nobody's watching that. What are you, you put on a dress, you crazy person? So I don't know. Is it, and then me and my wife connected because we both never really watched the show, right? And so we both kind of didn't know what was coming after. We were innocent and naive to the fact that people would know who we were. When I got kicked out the first time, when I finally uh, got evicted from the house, not kicked out, if you don't know the show, I was evicted. Honorable discharge. CBS is docking some of your royalties now. <laughs> I walked out and there's an audience, right? And someone's like, hey, Jeff. And I was like, and I looked, you know, and Julie Chen's waiting for you over there. And you're like, and I was, when that person's like, hey, Jeff. And I was like, I used to live in Los Angeles. I bet you I worked with that person, right? That's what's going through my head. And then someone's like, hey, Jeff. And I was like, Hey, what's up? And I was like, you know what? I think I went to college with that guy. What's he doing here in Los Angeles? And I sat down with Julie and I'm sitting there and she's like, wow. She's like, that's a crazy fanfare that you just got. I was like, I'm like, I think I went to college with that guy. And she's like, Jeff, everyone knows you from the show. And I was like, it never made sense to me. And I was like, oh my God, people really watch this show. So that was the first, and then it got crazy after that. Like then I really went down the rabbit hole, but that's how naive I was the first time I went on that show. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. That's probably good because you remained authentic, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, like you said about people getting dressed up at, you know, at 9 p.m. to be on the cameras, it's it's got to mess with your head in a lot of ways to to feel like you're always being watched. Yeah, well, for, yeah it does. If you're right? aware of it, at least. You're, you aware, know? Of it. you're aware of it, but it kind of goes away, but you're also aware of it, too, you know? So it becomes your reality. Like, I always use this example, and it's probably a bad example, but your mind has to go somewhere, right, when you're in prison. I don't know how people do life or 10 years or five, whatever they do. Your mind has to change and function somewhere else. When you play that game, your mind kind of changes. That becomes your reality, and the outside world tends to fade away a little bit. So I've never been to prison. I don't know what that's like. This isn't prison by any means. You're having fun. You could do whatever you want. But your mind starts to shift like this is your world now. And the information is closed off from the outside. And you start focusing on more what's going on, which is very cool psychologically part of the game that I think a lot of people don't focus. Like the psychology part of it, where your mind goes, you see people breaking down after 40 days. Um, what it's it just very interesting to me now, looking back, having gone through that experience. Yeah. Did you notice after leaving that there was a uh, time to adapt back to the normal, uh, you know, way your brain works? 
Yeah. So, I mean, when I got out, I remember, so you can't, you know, you're always wearing a microphone unless you're asleep. Right. So I remember like grabbing a pillow and laying down. I was like, Oh, my mic. And I was at home and I was like, wow, that was crazy. Oh my gosh. Wow. So not blocking my microphone. And, and so that the first time was amazing. We did it again. Wasn't, it was still great. You know, I'm still honored to be on it, but it wasn't the, as fun as it was the first time. Then I started working for the show and hosting the after show. So I got to, I did that for five or six years. And you I never got sit there see, like, and go, these guys, you fucking chumps, you guys, like, just quit. Just, just let them vote you out. Like, just, just go home, man. Like, you don't need this shit. But inside, you have to be like, "Hi, this is Jeff Schroeder, and we're gonna see what's going." Like, but you know, like in your head, you're like, "Fuck these clowns." Does well, that go was, to your it, head? It was interesting because I got to meet them and, and interview them before they went on the show, right? So I got to see this persona of certain people, and you know, they're tough guys. And I'm like, "Oh, you seem like a tough guy, right?" And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "You're? Have you cried? When was the last time you cried?" That's like one of my staple questions. And they're like. Man, I haven't cried in a while. I'm like, you're probably going to meet someone in there and end up crying on TV. And they're like, yeah, right. I'm not going to meet anybody. I'm not going to cry. And they all come out, the <laughs> toughest guys, and they're like, man, that was crazy, Jeff. I met this girl. I'm in love. I cried like 10 times in there. And it's like, it really it breaks you down and it turns you into a different person, hopefully for the better. I mean, you learn about yourself. You go through your mistakes and, and you come up with me hosting that and seeing who they were when they went in and who they were when they came out and hopefully it was for the better is was very interesting for me yeah it's an interesting perspective because um i think for a lot of people reality tv is almost uh especially people that don't watch it it's just a negative connotation it's just it's us that's a garbage reality tv um so for you being on kind of both sides of it there um being in it and then being able to step out as like a third party Obviously, it's a broad genre, but what's your opinion on that style? Especially knowing, um, just like your your editor friend on the the Around the World show, that there's a lot of uh, uh, fuckery that goes on with what yeah. actually happens. Mm -hmm. So, how how do you feel about the the genre overall? I think when you say reality TV, people's minds automatically go to The Bachelor or Bachelorette, right? So, I mm -hmm. think that's where the equation goes. And people, there's, you know, there's other, um, there's, there was a show out, right? I forgot that's kind of breaking down and debunking The Bachelor and Bachelorette and things like what happens behind the scenes. So mm -hmm. I don't know in particular that show or anything, how they run that or how that works. But I could say for the shows that I have done personally, like Big Brother, Amazing Race, it's a machine. And I think part of me appreciating being on the shows now that at looking back is I got to go behind the scenes. I got to see behind the walls of where where the camera guys are and the hours that they stand there and just listen to you all day chewing your food just yeah. how, how <laughs> nauseating that must be for those camera guys the producers going through footage of 24 hours of footage every single day and getting it out three times a week and making a show for the producers the directors the camera guys everybody behind the scenes working on that show I'm very much appreciative of being on that show now, what they go through. I don't think the normal people who watch the show appreciate any of that. Amazing race when you're in the middle of Bulgaria, and then I don't even know where the hell I'm at, but yet the camera crew's there. They have some sense of where you're going and how you're going to get there before you do it. It's a machine. It's a machine, and how all that stuff works is fascinating. Maybe just because I love that part of the business. That's why I'm in this industry. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me, and I think a lot of people at home are very judgmental. I think in Big Brother in particular, a lot of strange things happen, and people think that the writers produce that. And it's like, 
you can't even write some of the things that happen <laughs> on that show, which is the chips fall where they may sometimes. So, so like yeah. they don't have to give you like where you see a lot of these shows like 90 Day Fiance and they're basically have these people like reading off cue cards where you're like, okay, they totally wrote this in. Like, I can't tell Javier that I used to live here with my, you guys are being fucked in the show. mind. Cause you have to oh, wear yeah. a cow uniform as you're hanging upside down. You've taken cold showers for six days. The girl that you love is banging some other dude. There's cameras <laughs> on you all the time. And you want to know why you don't even worry about the cameras? Cause you all look like Jeff Schroeder, Polly <laughs> Calafiore and Jordan <laughs> Lloyd. You're all fucking hot AF dude. And that's why you like, you don't even worry about that. Cause it's like, no matter what angle, you guys look like you're Olympians, you know, like, and, and so now they just fuck with your mind because you can't go on your Instagram. You can't use your Twitter. Like, I was going to ask, so you're censored, you're, you're restricted on your ability to, on the show to, you know, connect with the outside world. I'm, I'm not super familiar 100%. with it. So, okay. I was going to yeah, say that yeah, would have to happen. You're completely cut, cut off, off okay. from the outside world. Yeah. So you sounds like living in a small town in America, <laughs> <laughs> except no one's that attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> well, it's cool when you get, you know, it's another thing you said, small town, when you get that person from the small town onto the show, right? And then they have to interact with the fast moving city people, right? And they all have to live in this small quarters and kind of get to know each other. You're forced to know each other. And I think, you know, the show has been kind of called out like everything has lately for mm -hmm. not being ethnic enough or diverse enough or, you know, showing every part of the world, which there's so many, or I should say the United States and the diversity of the United States. They could do a better job of that. I think everyone can moving forward. I think America is starting to catch up, which we are far behind. But I think it's such an interesting social project that if they really used it for that, I know people just want to be entertained. But if you did take a small town white person, I'm being, I'm using, being very vague here, mm -hmm. and get a you know very diverse, uh, educated black person and show that person who might not never seen a black person in their life, right? They've never, now they're forced to be with one another and they might be like, you know what? I had this prejudice all along on either end. And now that, that was all baloney. That was all something I was brought up with and I had no idea. And I love this person. I love them for who they are. And I, that's what traveling did for me, right? And I think in a small way, if you could put that onto some reality show, that'd be great for America, right? Sounds, to, it's a great pitch. That. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that's We're going to see that next season. Yeah. Should I, should I tell Alex to watch this show so he can see? Cause I mean, I know I, I can let him know. I know it's always better when it's coming from somebody else. So I can, I'll call Alex and I'll be like, Hey, watch 2020. <laughs> Jeff has an awesome fucking idea. Well, I think if big brother just kind of looked at it from that angle, right? I think, um, that would be great. Or we could start our own production company, Benny, and like go, go for <laughs> Well, listen, my buddy Greg is, uh, he's one of the head guys at the talk and, and, um, and your, your girl, Julie is on that show. And he, uh, I think he's got two I Emmys on his, on she, I don't see, I don't follow that. <laughs> but but when I went, when I went out there, Greg gave me the great, and Ed Horowitz, who's a, a legend, came up. Um, I think he did uh, Unsolved Mysteries was like his first real big hit. So, uh, but they they took me around and it was amazing to watch it. And I'm like, how do I recognize, how do I recognize her? I'm like, oh, wait, she did Big Brother. And oh. my buddy Greg works on that show. So like, it was really cool to go sit in the audience on the show and then like see it from that perspective when I've, for example, with you, I've only known you as a person. And the only time I've seen Julie was the first day that we, we met 
on the early show because Brian Pitcher dragged me in the freezing cold to be in the crowd behind you to then take you back to Boston. Yeah, which was great because, I mean, you know, it, it's so crazy thinking back now, like when I first met Julie going on to Big Brother and then she was going to be the one she was working in New York at the time to, you know, kind of launch off that Around the World for Free show. So that was kind of cool how that worked out. It's That's like so all cool. the same people. The, um, you, now that you've done both sides uh, of being in front of the camera and then also not not necessarily behind the camera, but being on the outside doing the host, kind of that that overarching element, uh, you mentioned that you had the crash course with with the Around the World program. And like what drew you to that side of things where where you're more on the, the production side and 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 being that voice instead of being you know a part of the actual uh the episodes and whatnot well i don't think i i mean i'm so i'm fascinated by the behind the scenes thing and i don't think enough people appreciate it right and so when i see an actor like for example who's kind of you know they get a bad rap for being mean to people and they're not taking pictures or they're not doing that's i don't that i don't like that right i, I mm. have such an appreciation for the people behind the camera that those are the people that make the people in front of the camera stars yeah. Not necessarily. You have someone writing your words, someone lighting your camera, someone powder in your face. Those people are the stars, not you, right? You're just you're just a puppet saying the word. So I have a big appreciation for all the people behind the camera because of that show around the world for free and seeing how that process plays out and then seeing how the process plays out on Big Brother. People around the clock working, right? And then the people get off the show and they have some fame. They have their 15 minutes of fame. I'm like. How about that guy who's been doing this for 20 years, who's in that office for 20 hours a day and gets no recognition at all? That guy's the star. That's the guy I want to talk to, not this guy, who, you know, whatever he was, right? So <laughs> I love, I have an appreciation for people on the show because I've done it and I'm in front of the camera, but I, especially where I work now at Daily Blast Live, the writers, the producers, the editors, the you know, the directors, I mean, it, just the smallest things of someone behind the camera just saying like, yes, no, you're going too long. Just like the little mm -hmm. intricacies of how everything works. I have a, such a passion and appreciation for it. Hi, hi you want to say hi? This is my little, <laughs> my little guy. Hi. Hey. Oh, oh my gosh, what a cutie. Oh my God. Is so he in training? A, this is a product of Big Brother. <laughs> <laughs> hi. That's the oh, little clearly represented in Chicago. Gear. Still got the Chicago, <laughs> Chicago gear. He probably but, uh, has your Jardinara and your Portillo's in the freaking fridge, right? Dude, <laughs> I actually do. I have my mom sent me one for New Year's. Wait, you have Portillo's? I have a box of Portillo's with Jardinera in the You're fridge. You're fucking kidding me. Do you get do you do it? Do you, do you have it dipped or like how do you like it? It's fro. No, I, I like it. I like it not too wet. The bread, you know. Yeah, well, you don't you want it to be like Italian so beef sandwiches are. Yeah, did you, you guys, guys hear that? What's that? Do you guys know what Italian beef sandwiches are or portillos? I don't no. think I know what those are, and I, my half my no. family is Italian, so that's shameful. <laughs> well, it's it's a chain place now, but this guy Dick Portillo started it in Chicago, and now they're everywhere. But I mean. Portillo's is the best. Betty just <laughs> well, the thing that's funny, is, and, and Jeff and I getting to know each other, uh, my grandparents are from Chicago, and they live, like, right near O'Hare. And Jeff grew up, like, right, like, a few streets down yeah. from where I was every single summer of my life. 
So like, hence why I was making fun of him for Portillo's because if you go to Chicago, one of the things that, you know, people talk about deep dish pizza, but it's about your Italian beef sandwich and how you have it done. And by that, I mean like, do you have it with the hots, which Jardinera, it's a specific thing. You know, and a lot of people have a different view. Like, do you dunk it in the au jus? Like, do you have, <laughs> like, do you put the au jus just on the bun, but not on the beef? Like, there's a so whole many options. how you do this. And it. Portillo's, <laughs> listen, I've had every small, like, I've had every small chain, every mom and pop, literally from Lollapalooza to freaking uh, Hollywood, which is a place actually in Illinois, uh, not too far from LaGrange. <laughs> and it's Portillo's is the best. It literally is the best. That's why it's frozen and sent to Jeff because it's the best. So. I love it. My mom, my mom sent it for New Year's, so I still have it in the freezer. But I'm going to start, Benny. I, this has been, I've been saying this for years, but I'm going to start a Jardinera business. So That's I've a been great working on idea. That. Yeah. Nice. Well, amazing. when I when I get that off the ground, I'll come back on and promote it. We should actually Absolutely. open like a Chicago Italian beef place. Oh. Because we can't do it in Boston because Boston has Kelly's roast beef, which is kind of almost it's a similar thing, and this is too much of a permutation, but like we need to go somewhere where they don't have nothing and like bring this to them because like it's already been done so well. We can just copy it. Oh I'm, in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm well, hungry. speaking of Chicago, I'm, I'm interested in hearing, you know, we talked a lot about you getting into TV and, you know, reality TV and production, but I'm actually interested in what happened before that. So you grew up in Chicago. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your background, your childhood, like what got you interested or inspired by film or TV? Like what made you go in that direction from early on? Well, so I was, I played football my whole life and that was my passion, right? And I never really thought past football. So I played just division three. I wasn't going anywhere past college. I played division three college football. And when I got to like my junior year, maybe my senior year, even I was like, dude, I got to, what am I going to do when I'm done with football? Right? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And I sell shoes like Al Bundy, bro. (laughs) I I mean, I could have got into coaching and that was always in the back of my mind. Like, I'll just, you know, I'll be a teacher, I'll be a coach or whatever. And uh, actually what kind of turned me on to it was in my senior year of high school, there was this um, class called film study class. And it's never, we never had it at our small little high school I went to. And I took it and I loved it. We had to make a small movie and I wrote a film and we filmed it and we directed it. And, you know, very, when I say directed it, very loose. We had a little, come say hi. That's my other one, but whatever. But uh, so anyways, (laughs) we won best film and it was about like the jocks versus the gangsters. And I loved it. I loved doing it. And, uh, once I got to college, I was like, man, I was always in a football room. Like, I kind of want to take like theater. I think I'm into that, you know, like, but it's kind of not the cool thing to do. I wish, you know, it, we'll get to that somewhere down the line, but I'm going to so introduce my kids to art and theater and all those, all that stuff that wasn't cool when I went to school for whatever reason. I wish I got into it earlier, but long story short, my senior year of college now, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get into theater. I, it's about time. I don't know what I'm going to do after this in my, in the, you know, the lady who runs the credits or whatever. What do you call I it? feel like this is like, like the some, like some movie, like 10 things I hate about you, uh, but it's about Jeff. Like, oh, I've done football, but like, I need to find more I in know, life. Right? So I go no, to theater. This is amazing. This is amazing. That's amazing that you say that, though, because this reminds me of uh, in high school, the captain of our football team tried out for Les Mis, like the musical and got like one of the lead roles. And that was like such a big thing was like, oh, my God, somebody on the football team is doing musical, you know, and it was like everyone loved it. But like no one ever thought about like 
yeah, I mean, that's just the generation, you know, like some stuff is cool and some stuff isn't. And you just don't cross that barrier. Yeah. And now it's like, that's the coolest thing ever. Like playing in a mint instrument or being in a band or being in theater, making movies with your buddies. I mean, look at like Jonah Hill and that whole crew, you know, those guys just are having a ball, loving life, doing films. That's what really were got me into that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make movies. It was too late for that in my, in my, um, when I went to college. So when I got out of college, I'm like, I went on, I got a marketing degree. I was in all these sales things. I was like, this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. So I just packed up and I had some, I took some acting classes in um, Chicago and one of my teachers moved to Los Angeles and I was just not happy where I was in Chicago. I'm like, listen, man, I'm coming out to LA and I just packed my bags and moved to Los Angeles. And that's kind of how it all started. Wow. That's amazing. So what happened with, so you got to LA and then what, what happened from there? You just went, you know, so I, got know to what LA, you were do. I was living with my acting teacher for a little while. Things got a little weird there. So I met some guy, moved in with him. Um, I, like I said, I was there two and a half years, but I worked everywhere up and down sunset, all, all the restaurants, all the, I worked everywhere. I worked on everything. Right. And uh, when I was like 26 or 27, I'm like, I don't want to, become a bar there was like bartenders there and making good money and everyone's like why don't you just be a bartender i used to work at ups and i used to load trucks you know mm-hmm. uh, right when i got out of college and i was like everyone's like why don't you become a sorter move up and become a manager because i never wanted to get too comfortable where i was and make and fall into that being the rest of my life so when i loaded trucks i just loaded trucks when i was a waiter everyone's like be a bartender i'm like i just want to be a waiter this isn't my career right so I got sick of being a waiter and I just almost cashed in my chips and I moved back to Chicago. And then when I got back to Chicago, I, someone uh, met, you know, one of my old friends who was an agent now. And then she's like, why don't you just go on a couple auditions here? I ended up booking so much more in Chicago because I was from Los Angeles. They thought I was like, <laughs> cool. Like I had a, I was still stuck, wow. but it, just because I had that, I was in Los Angeles for. We well, paid your dues in Los yeah, Angeles to go back cred. to Chicago, yeah. a fucking but, hero. But I still was terrible, right? But they're like, <laughs> "Oh, you live in Los Angeles, you must be great." <laughs> so funny perspective. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so you started I, taking auditions. Cool. So then, and then that's how, and then I kind of got in a bad headspace. Like I said, my boss like transformed me, like mentally, to where I was before, and even above that. And uh, even to this day, I mean, I write down all my goals. I listen to positive, inspirational things every single day in the morning. And uh, it's part of my life. It's a staple of my life where I think a lot of my appreciation comes from, you know. It's a really important thing that you said there because uh, Siobhan, for example, writes down her goals. Like actually one of the first things I did when I stalked her apartment when I first stayed with her was saw that she has like a thing like, you know, do yoga and like meditate and then like stretch or like whatever, like a, a music practice time. And Polly, when we talked to him, same thing. Like he's going to be on the fucking Olympics or like, I, I guess oh, he's man. going for the Olympics. Yeah. And like, he's like, I write out my goals and they told me in school, like you have a 50% better shot. But like one thing I've noticed uh, about people that are successful, you know, is that they put themselves out there. You got on a plane, you just did it. You even, you, you, ex- you went there and you failed, but you yeah. came back to succeed. 
And that was just the beginning. And it's fantastic that you have that sort of perseverance. And, you know, anyone that thinks that you just, you know, had that 15 minutes of fame and you're just riding that, like you just explained, you worked up and down the Sunset Strip. For those that don't know, there's parts of it that are beautiful that sell Gucci. (laughs) And there are parts of it where people are freebasing crack cocaine outside, right in front. And like cops are giving people, like this is a true story. One of my buddies told me, when he first moved to LA that he saw a police officer give someone a ticket for jaywalking in front of somebody freebasing. And I literally, he's like only in LA. And that's, that's kind of like, if you go too far down the sunset strip where Motley Crue is playing, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, and if you worked all those places, Jeff, you certainly have paid your dues to come back to Chicago. And, but I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, trade those experiences for anything, you know, standing outside, getting IDs, whatever it was, you know, but then you get a little taste of the good life. You know, someone who knows a person who's going to a party up on the Hollywood Hills and then you get to see that life. And it's like, uh, it was just, oh, and I have friends that I've met there that I'm still my best friends to this day. So the experience and the time I had there, I loved it. And then, you know, we eventually ended up moving back there, me and my wife, we moved back to Santa Monica, got our little apartment and made some new friends, you know? And so those, I just, just keep grab, gravitating to like, I don't know. I just, I'm, I have a great life. It's been, a, it's had its roller coasters, but the positives, like the friends that I've made through all my things, even you, Benny, <laughs> it's been amazing. Been amazing. Me. No, but this is so important that you said that. Cause I think perspective is something that has so much like gravity, you know, and, and that's something that you've said a- across all of the stories you've told so far is having that perspective that makes you understand all the varying sides of life and of careers and of situations and that you can't replace that with anything else. Having that experience, seeing what it's like to be behind the camera, seeing what it's like to work as a waiter, like moving to a new city. Those are all things that, yeah, craft Siobhan, you into being what? <laughs> would you say beyond that, like it's not just perspective that it might even border on empathy? Well, yeah, I mean, I think empathy comes with perspective in a lot of ways, right? I mean, if you can understand different types of people, you're able to relate to them better. Like you said, you know, if you put people from varying backgrounds on a show together, they might come out a different person on the other side, right? So, and even just your inner perspective, changing the way that you think, positive thinking. I mean, so much of success, even in the pe- other people we've interviewed is, you know, there's that common thread of people that have, that consciously choose their perspective in life, you know, of positivity of, you know, trying to be better, and on, like that, that. on that note, Jeff, uh, you mentioned that you were in a tough spot and someone kind of helped you through it and, and changed that perspective for you. Uh, what would you say to someone who might be listening right now that is, especially after this past year, going through a really hard time and, and maybe is looking for a, a path to, to turn things around? Uh, I would say, and this is true, and I say to like even looking back, my biggest failures, the times where I really like I look back and cringe, not just you know, stumbling from waiter job to waiter job. Like when I really messed up in life, those are my biggest changing moments, right? So yeah, I'm gonna pull a you know corny quote, but rock bottom is the best foundation to start building up, right? So if you think you're at rock bottom and things are bad, and trust me, they could always be worse. You have to take that right now, if it just happened to you today, you're probably not going to have that perspective of saying, I'm going to use this as a positive in my life. But as time goes on, you look back and say, that was the worst time of my life. I'm going to use that for a positive and change who I was or the thinking that I had or the work ethic that I had, right? I've laid around all day. I didn't do anything for months because I was so down in the dumps about this. 
You have to take those moments, look at yourself in the mirror. Don't point a finger because you're always going to have three pointing back at you. I really sound like a motivational teacher now. But, That's great. You know, That's look awesome. At yourself, look at yourself in the mirror and be honest with yourself and say, I failed. I messed up. I treated that person meanly. I could be a better person. I could work harder. I could have a better work ethic. There's no excuse why I'm not working on my mind as well as my body. All these, all these things come into play, but use failure as a lesson for good. That, that's what I would tell people, but it's, it's hard to understand. And I, I get that because when my boss first started telling me that, I'm like, this is nonsense. I don't care about lions in the jungle and all whatever he was reading me. And, uh, and now it all makes sense looking back, you know, yep. hindsight's 2020. Yeah. How it works. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well, so what are like now in your daily life, what are some resources that you use to like keep your perspective straight and to stay positive? Like, are there certain podcasts or like methods or anything that you use, like, let's say on a daily basis that helps keep you in that mindset? I mean, what a tool YouTube is, right? You could do whatever you want. You could build a shelf. You could listen to positive things. You could do whatever you want. You could make your own channel if you want right but if so when i work out i just throw on i listen to joe rogan a lot i like him yeah. there's some yeah he's awesome <clears throat> an entourage podcast i listen to because that was my favorite show being in los angeles and then uh these two guys the creator of the show and a couple actors on the show do a behind the scenes perspective of what each episode was so i'm mm -hmm. fascinated as you know by that so they would say what the acting was like how they got in all the behind the scenes stuff which i love so that's another one i listen to um, and again, I just pop on daily motivation and I listen to that. A lot of celebrities, Matthew McConaughey, fantastic. The rock, fantastic. Kevin Hart, fantastic. Um, do you ever watch the one with Steve jobs from the Stanford commencement speech? We just had John Garabedian on, but one of my all time favorites and like John had asked me if we, if we'd seen it, but if you've not seen it, uh, and if you have, you know, obviously, but have you seen uh, the commencement speech? with Steve Jobs uh, from Stanford University. No, I haven't. Okay, well, I Got challenge you, good sir, to do the oh. right thing. Um, and, and anybody listening, because we've now talked about it multiple times, whether you like Apple products or not, whether you agree with his philosophies or whether he's a dirty hippie or whatever, this speech is an unbelievably uh, introspective and linear and well thought out way to becoming successful uh, in a very broad sense. And it's so emotional. Like I honestly, I, I, every time I watch it, it literally like makes me cry like a little baby. It's like when I watch anything about Mr. Rogers, you know what I mean? Like, or, 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 you know, uh, Bob Ross, like you find out how awesome those dudes were. And it's like, how could it have been so awesome in real life too? But like, that's kind of how I feel about it, man. Yeah, well, I'll, if I don't listen to it tonight, which I might go listen to it later because I'm still going to do some, I'm listening to it tomorrow morning. There's so many great, Denzel Washington has so many out there commencement speeches. Uh, Matthew McConaughey has a great one. There's this general, which I knew his name, it's slipping my mind right now. He has an amazing one. I think he's a Marine. He's a general now. Oh, piss it, you're dead skull. Is, is that the make your bed one? Yeah, the make your yeah, bed one. Yeah, I've seen that. That one yeah. is amazing. Oh, it's not Jack amazing? Nicholson from A Few Good Men. No, I know that was, that was pretty <laughs> good. That, that, come on, man. That's a great one. That's pretty good. But yeah, there, there's so many out there, but I'm going to listen to that one. I mean, I, I just look, if you look behind me, that's Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena speech. You know, boy oh, yeah. for you, man. Was that when he got shot? Because people don't know, Teddy Roosevelt got shot in the middle of a speech. And because he had a Bible, 
It only like grazed him. So he's still bleeding, but he's like, ah, I'm going to finish this shit. I, I wrestled a rhinoceros in Brazil. Fuck this. So he literally finishes the speech before he walks off stage and like takes his jacket off and throws the bloody Bible down from being shot. So wow, I've never heard that story. You didn't know that? Like, yeah, they no. still have the Bible and the whole nine. Yeah, no. Teddy Roosevelt got fucking shot. And say, like, dude, if you were ever to be like a pushing Christianity on anybody, we were in a movie together called A Wish for Christmas, which like uh, just, I'm wish, a Jew. just wish for we're, Christmas. Oh, sorry. A Wish for Christmas is a different one. Wish for Christmas. We were in a movie together. I'm a Jew. So like I should explode just for being before in this we, movie. Before we move on, I just want to point out it was Admiral McRaven is the uh, the commencement speech you were talking about. That's right. Like that I remember now. Raven. Yeah. yeah. Oh, McRaven. McRaven. Speech. What a great speech. Yeah. But he got shot. So if there was ever a thing for Christianity, he got shot and the Bible absorbed the majority of whatever <laughs> slug it was. And he did bleed. I mean, so it did pierce it, but like it was very protective and he continued out of stubborn uh, stubbornness the rest of the speech. I'm going to Google it right now while you guys talk. You don't believe in God after that. Right. Wow. But again, perspective. Yeah, I mean, all these things. It's learning from people that have done more than you've done. And it's, yeah, I think that's like, even for me, I listen to podcasts all the time. I think you mentioned Tony Robbins. Like I listen to Lewis Howes, Joe Rogan, like, all these people, I think just getting out of your headspace and into someone else's that had different experiences can totally like take you out of your hole, you know? Yeah. I think being humble, being humble to whatever comes your way too is a, is a big part of, of a lot of things, right? You can't get a big head. You got to stay grounded. You know, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. So you, I think being humble and being like Benny mentioned, like, you know, crying about. So I think being in touch with your emotions, which is something that I blocked off, and I think till I had children, my first child, I cry at commercials. You know, like if there's a commercial on, I'll start crying. Snuggles jumps on, I might drop a tear. You know? But I, yeah. there's yeah. your emotions is a big part, I think, at least for the male perspective is, you know, I wish I would have got more comfortable with that at an earlier age. Well, let me read this to you because you know what? I, I like the fact that we're referencing history and it's forcing me to learn this because this is actually quite remarkable because you're talking about uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt's opening line was hardly remarkable for a presidential campaign speech. Friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. His second line, however, was a bombshell. I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot. Clearly, Roosevelt had buried the lead. The horrified audience in the Milwaukee Auditorium on October 14, 1912, gasped as the former president unbuttoned his vest to reveal his bloodstained shirt. It takes more than that to kill a bull moose. The wounded candidate assured them. He reached into his coat pocket and pulled out a bullet-riddled 50-page speech, holding up his prepared remarks, which had two big holes blown through each page, Roosevelt continued. Fortunately, I had my manuscript, so you can see I was going to make a long speech, and there was a bullet. There is where the bullet went through, and it probably saved me from going into my heart. The bullet is now me, so that I cannot make a very long speech, but I will try my best. Something like that. They do so not it wasn't, make it wasn't like the Bible, anymore. so I lied about that, but he did literally write a 50-page uh, speech. It wasn't a Bible? No, it was a 50-page speech, manuscript. This is stoner history with Benny Goodman. Sure. <laughs> you lose some of the is important details. Is that not details. fucking crazy? Hold on. The guy's <laughs> running for president, gets shot, pulls out a 50-page speech, and says, fuck it, I'm not going to read the whole thing now, <laughs> but I'm going to try. Rock and roll. Yeah. That's I fucking metal, dude. Is that it? I wonder if that's around. 
You know, like something you see like on Pawn Stars. Oh, or you something. could totally like, Google it's gotta it. Be. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I've someone seen... probably took that right away. They're like, we're gonna hold on to this for later. Yeah, no, you can Jeez. Google it. It's totally out there. Wow, yeah, they definitely don't uh, make them like that anymore. No, uh, I think in the age of the internet, immediate gratification is just I don't know. Well, he was he was in office when he went to the Spanish American War and decided to be a part of it because one, he wanted to lead by example, and two, he said it basically in no uncertain terms: if I have to kill people to do this, I will. And went out and killed people. Benny, Benny's a smart guy, isn't he? He's like vocabulary oh, yeah. is up there. He's a smart guy. I don't your your like, memory oh. for details is like incredible. I mean, well, my brain only holds on to what's relevant. Not always accurate, but it's, Not incredi- accurate, it's very but very well, very well described <laughs> that you think that it's accurate. But we were talking about the Panama Canal, uh, you know, and, and he, he was also champion the Panama Canal. So if you if you if you listen to the Shannon Larkin interview we did from Godsmack, he basically created his own Panama Canal for koi fish and turtles. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Edit out the part with the Bible. Drop that. People are gonna be like, Man, this guy oh, Corey's like, I already am taking notes, so I don't even have to watch that again. That's <laughs> yeah, Corey's like, we got to. He doesn't want to relive any of these moments. He just takes like uh, notes as the. Time I can commiserate stands. with all your editor friends. Story. Right. So of the three of us, Corey's the one behind the camera in this situation. So you should feel the worst for him. He has the hardest job. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys: Are you guys all in Boston, or where are you guys now? So uh, there, yeah, yeah, you guys are both in like Metro Boston, basically. I'm in Ohio right now, so I split time between uh, Ohio and Florida, but and, Eastern time. And how did you guys connect? How did you guys start this thing? Just interested. You so, cut yeah, we're, we we probably should mention it. We're we're in a band. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's the premise of the whole podcast, yeah, I guess. So, is we are in a band together. Wait, oh, I think I, Benny sent me some stuff. Did you, Benny? Did you ever send me some stuff with her singing in there? No, 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 no. No, so I'm, I'm a violinist. I don't yeah, sing. Yeah, she's really. a violinist. Um, so have you seen the show The Queen's Gambit? <laughs> no, I haven't, but it, we're, it's on the list. Yeah, she play she plays a violin in a lot of that show, or whatever. But she's in a band called Star Set, and she was in Trans Siberian Orchestra and has played with everybody. So she's oh, like wow. actually a well, like her band just surpassed two billion streams. That's on top of the fact that she's in like the and then the she also one. slums it with us in Lost Symphony, which <laughs> yeah, is our and a band called Lost Symphony, which is <laughs> which is an instrumental like shred metal orchestral band that features all kinds of crazy guitar players. And we actually met um, Siobhan and I um, when I was DJing. I got a call from my friend Ollie, who was the guitar player from All That Remains, who's no longer with us. But we put our devil horns to the skies, and um, he basically said, "Yeah, man." I got. I found. I found the perfect. I found the perfect chick for for, for this project. She she plays violin. She knows Vivaldi. And he was like all excited. He's like, I'm backstage at like a a, a concert and like, oh, I I just I recognize. He couldn't even talk. And he basically said like, I'm gonna give her like your number or something, and we're gonna like talk. And next thing I know, I'm talking to Siobhan as I'm DJing at some wedding, like and like Return of the Mac is in the background. I'm like, yeah. What's going on? And she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll fly out for the album. Sure, that's great. And then, like, next thing I know, like, she's showing up at my house and, like, we're high-fiving and, like, now we're BFFs for years. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a me, cool story. Benny sent me so many clips, and I don't know who's who on there, but <laughs> Benny just sent me the last one. It was very 80s, that song. I liked it. Oh, well, oh, yeah, I may him? have sent you Slay at Home. I may have sent him the Slay at Home. Yeah, we, oh, yeah. we covered. Oh, okay, uh, the covers. Yeah, yeah so all so the we, orchestral stuff is like what I do. Any of the violin stuff or symphonic yeah. elements. Kind of like a Dave Matthews-like thing, you know, like that element or no, my way off. And I mean, it's a different style. I mean, like I do a lot of different styles. For this in particular, it's really like orchestral symphonic metal, I guess. 
But then I'm in a band that's like sort of rock, electronic, fusion, and then I also play classical music. So a little bit of everything. And she's <laughs> played with like Michael Bublé and Andrea Bocelli and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and like name like any band that had like You're a violin player. You're like my mom with all the name dropping. Awesome. Yeah, but Jeff <laughs> doesn't know. Jeff no, doesn't. Know. How's he fucking well, supposed to know? It's an episode about him, not about me. In about the, the cute blonde. <laughs> like, bro, she's not just like on the show, bro. She's like you could see her like with Jordan on television. She's real. <laughs> I'm used to asking the questions, right? So out of curiosity, but see how fascinating? You, that's what I mean about people. They don't ask questions. They're so caught up in their self that you would never know that, right? I would never know that. No, we always love hearing about Siobhan because she, she actually gives the show credibility. Um, but I think we're, we're coming up on the end of this first hour. I know it, it flew by, um, but maybe maybe in the next hour, you can give us some tips on how to ask these questions. We're always looking for advice. Yeah. So. <laughs> you, we, we, you know what, Jeff? Uh, we're going to put you straight to work uh, on this next one if you're okay with that. Because I just said that like very authoritarian as if you couldn't just stop the Zoom call and walk away. <laughs> but uh, may, maybe you can in, uh, illuminate us. And by us, I mean like the plebeians, Corey and myself. Uh, and maybe you can talk about an interesting subject like Siobhan. Because when we had John Garabedian, um, the infamous, the legendary uh, DJ who's interviewed everybody from Taylor Swift to uh, Steven uh, Tyler to... Like, uh, broke the who uh, he sat and interviewed her and i always joke that like, i learned more about her in 10 minutes than i did in, in like 10 years and then I, I of course i've forgotten it since so maybe you can again reignite the catalyst that is siobhan in in our next episode if you'll stick around of course i'll stick around and i got a simple answer but my first lesson is leave a cliffhanger leave them wanting more so we'll save it for the next episode sounds good so what what's the cliffhanger again that was the cliffhanger. I'm kidding. I was 2020ing everybody. We'll oh see you God. soon. Thank you as always for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 26 with Pauly Calafiore, a fellow Big Brother alum and also contestant on MTV's The Challenge. Check it out. Can you can you just give some some context to exactly what you're you're training for? Yeah, uh, training for the uh, for the bobsled for the Winter Olympics in 2022. I worked hard. I did the combine. I reported to Lake Placid. I was there. I got to I got to be on the track. I got to do all these things. I got to do this. And then certain you know laws and rules get passed, and that's it. Like it's like, hey, uh, sorry, it's out of our fucking control. If you're not prepared for the opportunity, if I was sulking this whole time. By the time January came, I would not be as strong. I would not be as fast. Uh, I would have no concept of technique, but instead I've been putting six hours every single day on top of running all the online businesses and all that stuff. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. 
Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Okay.